Welcome to an Agency Story Podcast, where we share real stories of marketing agency owners from around the world. From the excitement of starting up, the first big sale, passion, doubt, fear, freedom, and the emotional roller coaster of growth. Hear it all on an Agency Story Podcast. An Agency Story Podcast is hosted by Russell Dupree, successful agency owner with an eight-figure exit turned business coach. Enjoy the next Agency Story. Welcome to another episode of an Agency Story Podcast. I'm your host, Russell. Today's guest on the show is Abid Jodhoff with Bayleaf Digital a digital marketing agency focused on the SaaS industry based out of Dallas, Texas. Abi sort of fell into his role as an agency owner when a corporate restructure and a lack of ideal opportunities left him without many desirable options. He hasn't looked back since and went from a slow start to where his biggest problem now is how to get all the work done. This is a classic story of making the best of opportunities available and of perseverance. Enjoy the story. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, I have Abi Jadov with Bayleaf Digital. Welcome to the show, Abi. Thank you, Russell. How are you? I am doing well, sir. Glad to have you on here. Well, get us started off and tell us what is Bayleaf Digital? What do you do and who do you do it for? Absolutely. Bayleaf Digital is a B2B SaaS marketing agency. We are based in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. I guess based is a tricky answer because we are everywhere now. You could say we were founded in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, but we're all over the country. What do we do? We are a SaaS marketing agency. We help companies that have software as a service as they're offering. We help drive leads. We help drive demos. Basically anything that is a marketing goal for companies, we help accomplish those goals for them. Very needed among those types of businesses. Was entrepreneurship always on the horizon for you? Is your career's concerned? What was young Abhi thinking he was going to do with his life? I come from India. And the mindset is a bit different in India in that if you are in a certain class, your kids either become engineers, they become doctors, they become architects. And that's about it. You got to draw the line there. It's like everybody else. I picked engineering as my calling. I became what's called electronics engineering, but in the U.S. it's electrical engineering. By the time I got into my final year, I was pretty convinced that is not what I was going to do with my life. In fact, I make a pretty lousy engineer, I think. (laughs) But along the way, I discovered programming. I discovered assembly language. I discovered C. And I immediately fell in love with it. I thought... I would be a computer programmer. That's where I was going to go. I worked for a couple of years in India and my dad was high up in management. My sister was also pursuing a MBA and I got thinking that's where I want to go too. Made the change, made the leap, went to University of Arizona, got my MBA there. After that, I got into corporate life. I didn't have a grand plan on who I was going to become. It was smaller steps that got me here. You've got your MBA and you're headed out into the corporate world. What did you start out doing? And we can start tracking how that plan evolved. I started my corporate career in the U.S. at a company named Sabre. It's basically the bookings and reservation engine that's used across the world. I lucked out. I got to travel a lot. I went to really cool places like Brazil, Estonia, Kuwait, and so on. I need to work for a travel company. (laughs) You know what's ironic, Russell? I traveled to Brazil, I think it was 13 times in one year. 
The folks there were amazing. They always encouraged me to take the weekend off and go visit the rainforest, etc. I'm like, nah, I don't want to do it. This is 2005. Eventually, I decided that I was done with travel. And I moved to Travelocity, which sounds ironic, right? But it was a desk job. At that time, it was an online travel agency. And I got my introduction to marketing at Travelocity. It was a very circuitous route, to be honest. I went from wanting to be a programmer to then becoming a project manager. I ran software implementations for airlines. And then I ended up at Travelocity and got my break into marketing. What were you doing in marketing? What was your main area of focus? I cut my teeth on analytics, data analytics and marketing. When I first entered marketing, I had a very <laughs> poor opinion of marketers because I thought <laughs> it was creative without any data to guide their judgment, etc. When I actually started looking at the numbers, and especially if you're talking about Travelocity visitors a month, it blew my mind. And I was fascinated. I fell in love with the whole notion of conversion, how you measure it and what channels are driving it trying to do A-B tests and whatnot. That is what cemented my path, if you will. Marketing plus the analytics behind it. Hobby turns marketer. And then as I understand it, you left Travelocity, started somewhere else, and then got caught up in a bad situation with a merger acquisition and actually lost your job. But you were able to turn that into the opportunity to actually start your agency. Where and how did that all begin? There was an acquisition in works for Travelocity. There was a lot of management movement and such. My business partner and I actually at that time, we looked for various jobs in the Metroplex and I ended up in a company named Shepler's, which used to be a Western wear online retailer and it got acquired by Boot Barn. When that merger acquisition happened, they moved some of the options back to Wichita. Both my business partner and I, we found ourselves without jobs. We asked ourselves, what do we do? Um, we can always go back to the corporate world. In fact, I interviewed, I vaguely remember interviewing with Zappos, Target and Audible. And they all wanted me to move either to you know, Las Vegas or Minneapolis or New Jersey. You know me, man. You live in the Metroplex. I live in the Metroplex. There's something about it. I was like, I don't want to leave the Metroplex. We said, you know what? Let's stick it out here. Let's start an agency and figure out what we really want to do. The goal was definitely not to run an agency for a decade by no means. It was, let's try our luck out while we keep figuring out what is it that we actually want to do. Let's not move. There's your starting motivation. Yeah. building an agency. That's the first one I've heard that. I started with a business partner. How'd you guys divide and conquer the business? And how has that evolved from when you first started or hasn't evolved, I guess you could say, to where you guys are at today? As I mentioned before, we didn't really have a plan in terms of what we're going to do with the agency. The idea in general was, hey, let's figure out a product that we want to build. Let's build a SaaS product. At that time, we didn't call it SaaS. The terminology at that time was more ASP. Now it's called SaaS. It was a means to an end. When we first started out, <laughs> Tori and I, literally, I kid you not, Russell, we went knocking on restaurants' doors and we we're like, hey, for our website, you can build your website. We want some revenue on the side while we figure out what to do. We've come a really long way since then. We've divided the responsibilities. Tori, today, focuses on business development. He also focuses on content development internally, while I'm focused on all things administrative operations in the company, also strategy uh, as we develop new strategies for SaaS companies inside. I'm involved in the execution side of things, if you will. Who is the best at knocking on doors? That's the question that comes to mind. I know you guys had to have a competition or something going, who is the best? <sighs> 
I gotta say, it's gotta be Tori, a talker. He will talk you out of parting with your last five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a first as well. A lot of people hit up various ways to find cold leads, but I've yet to hear of door-to-door -door website sales. You guys are so innovative. You obviously have a very specific niche now, but you didn't start there. And as I understand, it was a long-tailed process to get to where you eventually ended up. How did that process evolve for you guys? And when did you decide that? hey, this is what we're going to focus on. Very early on, 2013, I sought out mentors and I talked to them. I kept saying that, hey, we need to find a niche. But wanting to find a niche and actually finding a niche, very different things, right? When you're scrappy, trying to find whatever you can get, at that time, there's no niche. It's, hey, my contacts contact asked me to do marketing and they asked me to do SEO. Heck yes, we'll do SEO. We did anything and everything. Come about, I want to say 2017, we had a few clients that were in the contact center space. We're developing this niche in the contact center space and neither of us actually had that background. We acquired it and we felt very comfortable with that business. We said, let's make that our niche. We tried that for a year, didn't work very well because the contact center niche, it's a little odd. You've got some very big players. You've got some players that are breaking into the marketplace and they each had their different needs and it just didn't quite fit where we were. At that time, Tori had been to Saster, approximately 2017, 2018. He comes back from Saster bright eyed and he's like, dude, this is it. I found it. It's SAS. I go... We just started going down the contact center route. Let's give it a try. And maybe we'll see if SaaS is the thing. It was okay. By the time we were winding up 2018, we were like, okay, I think we are done with contact center tech. Let's look at SaaS. So we started learning about SaaS, learning how we should be marketing SaaS. We read up about HubSpot and all of those things. Changed the website and slowly but surely moved away down from just a SaaS marketing agency to a B2B SaaS marketing agency. Then we further narrowed the niche because the demand was so much. We said we are only a HubSpot B2B SaaS. Then this year, we've narrowed down even further and said we are only product market fit B2B HubSpot. And even then, it's hard to keep up with demand. It's weird. We go from a very broad focus in 2014 of we'll do anything to we are so niche that we're trying to make sure that we get just enough number of prospects and clients that we can service them without going crazy. My next question is going to be, how did that transition work for you? But it sounds like pretty well because it really, as you said, forced you down even more further refined path. That's awesome. I'm guessing you haven't looked back on that decision. No, but we do go back and now ask ourselves, HubSpot is our focus. Should we look at Marketo? Should we look at Pardot next? Are we going deeper or are we going broader? Are we going horizontal? This is always in the back of my mind. What's next? Because 2019, before COVID hit, if you had searched for SaaS marketing agencies, you may have found two or three of them. Now you search, they're like 40, 50. Everyone's a SaaS marketing agency. It's okay. Everyone wants to be a SaaS marketing agency. We got to find our niche and we got to be really good at it. We think we are pretty decent at what we do. Trying to stay ahead of the competition, if you will, looking at what's next. How to look at what's next. One of the surprising things when I first came across your story was that given you were a digital company focused very much in a digital space, pandemic comes along thinking you shouldn't be too affected by that. But that sounds like that wasn't the case. And the pandemic hits you pretty hard, if you don't mind kind of sharing how it hit you and how you came out of that. I still remember when 
everything started shutting down employees were worried we were worried we had just signed a lease for an office that was a third office we had moved back and forth back in 2018 we were in an office i gave it up because of revenue issues finally 2019 we had enough courage to say things are looking good let's go and get an office again we had just signed that lease then covid hit and i'm like oh crap what now the news was it's a two weeks and it's four weeks and like okay we can survive that we slowly realized that this is going to last a while i remember my son saying we have planned for a hawaii trip for four years now and i remember him going in march you're not going to hawaii this year are we i'm like no we're going we're going <laughs> from june i tell him no Dude, you're right. We're not going to Hawaii. That's what happened with the business. We're like, oh, things will be okay. Things will be okay. Come June, July. I'm like, oh crap, we may not make it. We lost 80% of our revenue. 80%. That. That's and a lot. It was nuts. We had a little bit of cushions, so we were able to squeeze through. We got grants from Facebook, the Tarrant County. We got grants from the federal government, the forgivable loan. That kept us afloat. Without that, I think this agency wouldn't be today. Then come December of 2020, suddenly there was this whole pent-up demand. There were plenty of people knocking on our doors. And I went, I think things are going to be good. Things have been good and getting better since then. I'm glad we survived it. It was a huge lesson for us in terms of never stop marketing yourself and keep growing. Otherwise, I think a famous sports commentator said this, if you're not growing, then you're regressing. It's funny, you go back to the pandemic and how long is this going to last? I remember I was still in my agency at the time and we created this little memo and it was like, we don't know how long, but we planned two to three weeks and how wrong those words really were. Clearly, we all didn't know how bad it was get and what recovery would look like, but that's awesome. You went from near bust to explosive. It's hard to talk about the pandemic in terms of positive sense, but all we're left to do is make the best of it. Glad that worked out for you guys. And now we get to sit here and have this chat today. What is your big goal with the business? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to achieve? Back when we launched the agency, Tori and I, we are both product managers at heart. So our goal was to build SaaS products. That's where we wanted to go. In fact, in 2015, we had saved up enough money to build not one, but two SaaS products. We built them. We were naive enough to think that if we build them, that would be enough. We built them and we ran out of cash. Not only did we run out of cash, we also were not focused on growing the agency. We got in a deep pit. It took a while to dig out of it. We've not lost sight of that eventual goal. We both would want to manage SaaS products. That is the big picture goal. Agency is now our passion. This is who we are. We will continue to grow the agency. We grow it as a way for our employees to grow and as a way for our employees to do bigger and better things. And for us as well, big picture is we will someday hope to own one, maybe two SaaS companies that will be part of our portfolio. Man with a plan. Looking back on that experience, if you could go back, would you say, don't do that, don't build that SaaS so soon, wait? Or do you feel like going through that process and experience early is actually going to help you down the road with your goals? Russell, you've got kids, right? I do. It's one of those things where you tell your kids, hey, don't do it. And your kids are going to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> true. In fact, yeah. if you want them to do it, you probably tell them, don't do it. <laughs> Even if 2022 Avi went back to 2014 Avi and said, hey, don't do it. 
2014, I we would have still done it. We have still made that mistake. It's one of those things that you make that mistake and you learn from it. You learn how difficult it is to earn every penny and how much you have to respect the revenue earning capabilities and nurture that stuff. It wouldn't change anything. Even if I tried, it wouldn't change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was talking to someone else on another show and we were talking about the exact same concept of you almost need to take this podcast with you and see it's not just me telling you, we're telling it to the world that this is what we should have done. Please listen, kids and youth and all that good stuff. You had a really big moment this past summer. I thought that was really cool and a milestone moment with your team that was unique. If you don't mind telling us what happened there. It goes back to COVID and how we were a team of four or five people here in the DFW Metroplex. As we started growing, emerging out of COVID, we hired outside of the DFW area. I was counting before our meeting because I'm like, I should get this number right. We are right now at 18 full-time employees and four contractors, more or less, working part-time for us. Bringing all of these people together was definitely necessary for us to make sure that there's camaraderie and there's cohesion in the team. With that in mind, we actually took employees to Puerto Rico for our offsite, employees and their families. It was a week-long off-site, and it turned out to be amazing. We had a professional facilitator with us, and she made the comment that this sort of stuff is done by big companies. Small companies don't do th these things. She said that it speaks volumes of what you guys are trying to do here. It really stuck with me that at the end of the day, it's all about employees. It's all about morale. It's all about making sure that People are happy doing what they're doing. We did that. We had one employee comment that was the best offsite of her career, which was amazing to hear. To me, when I look back at one of the biggest accomplishments, I would say that probably is in the top three. If you got any open positions, maybe you're going to get a rush of applications after this conversation. Be like, I want to go to Puerto Rico. I'm going to see if I can figure out myself how to get on a B's Puerto Rico list. I want to get back there. That's a really cool place. Someone that didn't intend to be an entrepreneur, final big question for you, are entrepreneurs born or are they made? As a child, you probably have an independent streak. You probably have this innate desire to go to your own thing. But maybe the better question is, are successful entrepreneurs born or made? I would say successful entrepreneurs are made as a result of a lot of lessons learned along the way or maybe even mentors who showed them the way. In some cases, there's always an exception. There's always an exception to the rule, right? I would say you could be born with this strong desire to do your own thing, but you got to get some guidance so you don't falter. I love it. And I love the question of the question or, or successful entrepreneurs born and made. I, I appreciate you turn on that. It reminds me of the exceptions to the rule. I'm seeing these memes of how I created a $50 million business, wake up every morning at 6 a.m., read a book every day, and got a $50 million trust fund for my father is my business story. Love those jokes and memes out there. If people want to know more about Bayleaf Digital, where can they go? Bayleafdigital.com. Bayleaf Digital, one word. Bayleafdigital.com is where you can find everything about us. And you can, of course, reach out to us on LinkedIn as well. Those are probably the two ways to get in touch with us. There you go, folks. Thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing all your insightful knowledge and journey. Very much appreciated to be. Awesome, Russell. It was a pleasure and honor. Thank you so much for inviting me. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of an Agency Story podcast, where we share real stories of marketing agency owners from around the world.
Are you interested in being a guest on the show? Send an email to podcast at performancefaction.com. An agency story is brought to you by Performance Faction. Performance Faction offers services to help agency owners grow their business to $5 million and more in revenue. To learn more, visit performancefaction.com. As we are all remote, so that it's not all serious, we try to have a little bit of fun online. One of the things we do is we celebrate birthdays, employee birthdays. I will send our employee, birthday boy or girl, a cake. They've come to expect it. Before it was a surprise, and now they've come to expect it. We will sing on Zoom. We all get together and we sing. Uh-huh. Imagine how out of sync everyone is when they sing on Zoom. It's always funny listening to people. But what took the cake, if you will, a few weeks back was uh, I had someone else, someone other than our normal person lead the chorus, and he decided to do something different. You've seen Lord of the Rings, right? Yes, I have. Golem, right? My precious. He started singing happy birthday in that voice, and people lost it. They absolutely lost it. It was fun. It was hilarious. We do things to keep things light around here. I love that. You have a recording of that by chance? No, I do not, man. We should have recorded it. Yeah, I'm so bad about that at moments. I'm just living it up in the moment and I don't record a lot of things, but it'd be funny if you had a recording.